0: 393 days of frustration. And on the 994th day of NHL existence, the Carolina Hurricanes have won the Stanley Cup.
1: Welcome to Home Ice Advantage. With historical perspectives, modern-day deep dives, special guests, and a healthy mix of good, bad, and or hot takes, this is the best place for you to learn about your Carolina Hurricanes. I just want to say thank you and I'm looking forward for this challenge. It's an honor and I think we're gonna do great
0: things. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, hey what do you say the Kings overtime!
1: Before we get into the Carolina Hurricanes defeating the LA Kings, forwarded two in their own building, we have very exciting news. Tara Vinan is back. No, this is not a drill. We were not practicing for when he finally comes back. This is in no way a test of your emotions. The Finnish connection is back on the ice. Well, not really, actually, because Tarvainen was slotted on the second line with Kakenyemi and Andrei Svechnikov. Seth Jarvis stays in the top line, and Nason drops all the way down to the fourth line, which we all saw coming. There was a debate on who should sit at the you know, opportunity of terra Vining coming back. And a lot of people thought it should be Jory. I might have suggested that. <laughs> Another group of people might have suggested that it should be cock and Yemi, but I don't think anyone on the coaching staff is currently inebriated, so that wasn't going to happen. And it turned out to be Derek Stepan, which, in hindsight, makes a ton of sense. Stepan has not been noticeable so far, and Rod Brindemore has mentioned in the past that he was impressed with Stepan's skill to play when drawing into the lineup after a prolonged period hanging out in the press box, or as part of the press box bunch that I'm trying to get started, but no one seems to be a fan of. Oh my god, who the hell cares? That's what I'm saying. No one seems to care about this incredibly creative term to describe a player. That has a prolonged appearance in the press box, but whatever, you know. Not every genius gets recognized at such an early age. Some people don't even get recognized for it until long after they're dead. But this has gone in a weird place. Kane's after dark, what do you want? Uh, Fair warning, I am recording this after the game in Anaheim, so it's late. It might get a little loopy here. The fourth goal in LA, though, is scored by Brady Shea from a pass from Jordan Marnock who continues to play well this season, only two games moved from his 500th game, to Brady Shea, who, you know, actually has hands, and then he scores a goal. But the the important part here is sometimes you forget, like, in your head, does Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, Brady Shea have, like, these incredibly gifted hands? Uh, Of course they do. Like, they have to. They are professional hockey league players. But in your head, like that's not what I know. Jacob Slavin. If I get within thirty feet of him with a puck, he's gonna use that stick to poke it away. But I don't think of him as like being able to handle a puck well. Obviously, he he can. Like logistically, logically, not logistically. Logically, of course he can. But when you see it happens, isn't it just a little bit surprising? So when Jake, oh Jacob Slavin, wow. When Brady Shea scored that goal, wasn't just a little part of you like, oh my God, he has hands. Martin Hajes would make it a two to nothing game, continuing his revenge tour, the I think you have some egg on your face, how dare you think I wasn't a good hockey player tour. It's quite a long name, but it fits on the short, so I think the marketer is going to be okay with it. Um, it was a pass from Brett Barnes on the delayed power play that would eventually lead to the goal, and it's interesting here, we can't score on the power play, That that is evident at this point. We are currently, as of this recording, 28th in the league at 17.6%. The only teams worse than us on the power play is Montreal, Philadelphia, Anaheim, and the Jackets. That is not the group we want to be with. Not really the point. Just you know, there is a reason that fans joke about declining these power plays. But this time we converted it before LA had a chance to touch the puck, and you know somehow that worked for us. Uh, Ahu makes it a three-nothing game. Jarvis carries it in, passes it to Martin Agus, to his right, without delay, Nature sends it diagonally down to Ajo, who's just in front of the blue paint. Aho scores. Slavin and Brett Bournes both had these amazing stick saves this game. And I, I'll talk about it more in Anaheim. Uh, no, I'll talk about it now. Brett Bournes is not incredible defensively. And that's expected for a offensive defenseman. You know, uh, Dougie Hamilton had holes in his game. Tony Angelo had holes in his game. But defensively, Brent Burns might be the worst out of all three. And every once in a while, I, I like get stuck in these grooves of like, why is this guy not a winger anymore? For those of you who don't know, when he originally got a San Jose, he was a forward. And then after Anaheim's terrible playoff performance in 2013-14, maybe? It's somewhere in that time range. He was eventually put on the back end to be more of a defensive player, which I don't see, to be quite honest. Uh, it's it's funny, Jacob Slavin has made more defensive mistakes as of late than he normally would. But I don't know if it would have been nearly as apparent if he was paired with someone else. But Brent Barnes makes a handful of defensive mistakes every game. And they're not even mis- understandings like it's not that he misread the play and he made the wrong move it's he's just not in the right position or he bites on something that he shouldn't be biting on because it wasn't his player I don't know I'm getting too deep but Jacob Slavin makes an absolutely amazing stick play on a wraparound chance to save uh, a goal from Kachekov's stat line LA would score on the power play Uh, Don't want to think about it, though. 10.29 left in the game. Svechnikov would get it back about three minutes later, assisted by Brett Pesci playing in his 500th game. We'll get there. And Brent Barnes, who, again, I am openly criticizing his defensive play. Um, And then L.A. would get another goal to make it 4-2 with roughly two and a half minutes left in the game. But at this point, unless something dramatic happened, Carolina's two points were in hand. This was one of those rare games where Carolina actually loses in the dot. So there, it was fifty six to forty three in the faceoff circle. But overall, I didn't hate the game. We got two points. Um, the only real thing I want to think about for this game, though, is that Brett Pesci, the pride of Terrytown, New York, played in his five hundredth NHL game. It's the more and more we, we have a couple more, you know, milestones like this coming up throughout the season. But does it really feel like Brett Pesci has only played 500 NHL games? He's been in the league. this is his eighth season in the league. So he's been in the league for eight years and only at 500 games. At some point, we're gonna have to go back and like prorate all the stats from this era of the NHL. Can, there was no way. Alexander Ovechkin would not be knocking on the door for the Gretzky goal record if he hadn't li- if he hadn't played through what two lockouts and two shown COVID seasons. Like, what? I feel bad for these guys because in the record books, you know, 50 years from now, there's going to be a conversation on, oh, were well, these guys really that good? And so- someone's going to have to constantly remind everyone, hey, th- th- those were COVID seasons. Like that it was literally harder to collect points. It was harder to play in games. But I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this one. Let's hear from the head coach and then we will walk our way down to Anaheim.
0: I thought thought we had a good effort again, you know, from 20 guys and then I thought we made some special plays which we hadn't really seen much of. You know, off the rush, we scored a couple pretty goals um, but all coming from good plays in our end, like good D-zone coverage, which, so that leads to your rush chances, and we were able to convert. It. Well, he's just steady. Whenever we seem to have that, you know, little breakdown, and that's what goaltending is about, right? You make that save, it kind of takes the stress off the group. And, you know, he came up with a couple nice ones tonight, obviously, especially when they had their push in the third where, you know, you had that three-goal lead, it's, you know, the penalties kind of got us, and, you know, we're kind of back on our heels. He, he, was, uh, he was solid. I understand you guys worked out on the, the beach this morning. Uh, any, any thought into you know doing something a little unconventional uh, yeah. on the road trip? When you come out here, it, you know, it's you don't have a morning skate availability at the rink, and so that just you know just the way things worked out. Without um, you know, make the best of what we can, and you got obviously beautiful weather down here, and you know, so you you, <laughs> you do things like a little differently. But um, end of the day, we got it two points. That's what we came here for.
1: Going into Anaheim, I really only wanted one thing. And I know this is going to sound so stupid, but I only wanted one thing in the entire world. The last time we played the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, I don't care that's that that name anymore, Disney created the team for that, though the Mighty Ducks. Anyways, all I wanted was for Jordan Stahl to get back-to-back hat-tricks against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks because I thought that would be really cool. I thought it would be awesome for me to be selfish and get Jordan Stahl his third NHL hat-trick and the fifth for the organization this season. Just my little prediction going into this game. And it it honestly could have happened. I mean, he has the one goal. He had another grade-A chance. You know, anything could happen in overtime. It didn't, but I'm really sad about it, (laughs) so I decided to include it in the show. Well... Open with me not really being upset about the overall play in the game. Carolina got back to the winning in the faceoff dot. They didn't convert on the power play, but they also didn't allow Anaheim to convert on the power play. So I'm not super upset about that. We blocked a fair good amount of shots. Um, check on Seth Jarvis's foot, please. Maybe check on Brady Brady Shay's. No, Brett Pesci's neck. Actually, that's where we'll start. The first goal of the game starts a series of unfortunate events for the Hurricanes. Adam Henrik and Brett Pesci were skating into the Hurricanes defensive zone. It gets shot from the blue line from a random ducks player. Honestly don't know, don't really care, not important to the story. It hits off Henrik's stick and hits Brett Pesci straight in the throat. Pesci immediately falls to the ice and then Henrik has you know it's one-on-one with him and a goalie and Kochekov Could have been in much better position to make the save. He doesn't. Whatever. Goal scored. Series of unfortunate events. Watching the game live, the Hurricanes broadcast didn't show Anaheim cheering and celebrating the goal. Which, I was like, yo, go an Anaheim. That is a respectful move. There's an injured player on the ice. I mean, score your goal. It's legal. It's a good goal. But don't celebrate it. Because a player was injured. Watching back after the game, watching the Anaheim broadcast... Oh no, they definitely celebrated. Which is... uh, I'm not angry about it, but like... It's a little disrespectful. Because later in the game, Anaheim's fans would boo. Because their player got hurt and the ref didn't blow the whistle. Just, you know... They're human beings. Let's be careful. But Pesci would end up being fine. But... It wasn't before... Brady Shea decided that he needed to make up for his defensive partner having to go to the locker room taking a puck to the net moments later just moments later literally less than two minutes later Brady Shea assisted by Jack Drury forced uh NHL assist for Drury and Paul Stastny scores to make it a 1-1 game and you know guys this is first of all it, it exemplifies what teamwork is but this would have been, like, if this was a teen drama show that revolved around a hockey team, this would be an entire episode of, there would be slow motion breakdowns of Pesci taking the puck to the net. Then you would hear Brady Shea's internal monologue of, I knew what I had to do. I had to get that goal back. And then he scores the goal. And Except that in the TV show, the Hurricanes would have won the game. They wouldn't have lost 4-3 in overtime. Okay, whatever. The interesting part of this game is neither team scores two goals in a row. None of the goals are unanswered. Anaheim open scorings, Brady Shea scores, Anaheim scores again, Aho scores, Larson scores, Stahl scores, and then Ryan Strom wins it in overtime. If you, there's this great quote that I know I've used a couple of times now. After the Arizona game where the Hurricanes got shut out, Jordan Stahl says, you know, we started the game okay, but then we just started to fade away. And I don't think that, like, it's not a one-for-one one example here. If you're watching this game, though, you would see that they did kind of fade away. Anaheim took control of the game as we started, uh, I mean, to exit the first period, uh, the enter the third period, excuse me. I, I don't remember what the exact stat was, but it, it, there wasn't a shot on goal for Carolina in the third period to force like eight, maybe 10 minutes of the third period. And you have to remember, it, it's a tied game at three. So every time the puck is on someone's stick, someone has the game winning goal, right? Ultimately, I mean, they would go to overtime, that's where it was scored. But every time someone touched the puck, they had an opportunity to score the game winning goal. And the intensity level wasn't there for Carolina. I've talked about it in the past, but the lack of of a killer instinct on this team is our Achilles heel. Which is funny, because I thought Pacioretty's Achilles was our Achilles. Anyways, stupid puns, it's late, get off my back. Um, But our, our lack of killer instinct is real. Like, there was absolutely no reason that we should have lost to Anaheim tonight in overtime. We are a much better team than them. And not like, you know, I'm like, oh, we're a better team than the Rangers, even though that's, like, debatable. Or, hey, we're a better team than Boston, even though, like, again, very debatable. They're currently the best team in the league. Anaheim is a bad hockey team. This was only their seventh win of the season. They have 17 points through 27 games. They are currently 32 out of 32 teams in the league. And yes, they have Zegras and... Uh, Troy Terry, and they're both good players. But they're surrounded by mediocrity. And we have Jacob Slavin, Brent Burns, Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, Sebastian Ajo, Teru Vinen, Seth Jarvis, Svechnikov, Martin Hs. Like, I don't have to name all 20 guys. There was absolutely no reason we should have lost this game. The, the first goal is unfortunate. That happens. I mean, you know, you can forgive Brett Pesci for giving up on the play after he took a puck to his windpipe. Completely acceptable. No anger here. But, once Brady Shea got that goal back, you reset the game. And it it never seemed like we really gained... Like, can you... Honestly, sit here, can you remember a single moment where we had prolonged pressure on Gibson, because I can't. You know, we had, like, a shift here or there, but there was no five, six, seven-minute stretches where we were dominant, even though we should have been, because, and I don't, you know, if you're an Anaheim Ducks fan listening to this podcast, first of all, I don't know why you are. Second of all, sorry, your team is really, really bad. Like, it's, it's just bad, and you're getting better, and you will get better. You know, oh my god, what if you win the Conor Bedard sweepstakes? Then you're going to have Troy Terry, Zegras, and Conor Bedard? Like, oh my god, you'll be unstoppable in like three to four years. But for right now, you're you're trash. And there was absolutely no way that you should be able to outscore the Carolina Hurricanes against their rookie goaltender who is putting together a season. And Kochekov is not blameless in tonight's loss. That OT goal, ah, that's an ugly goal, given that to end the game, it's Anaheim studies tape, and I'm not saying that because every hockey team studies tape, And I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm assuming that they would have a video coach create a presentation on how the Hurricanes play, and what you can do to get around their defense, But on that game-winning goal, go back and watch it. They are waiting for a Hurricanes player to try to change. That's all. They're they're literally just hanging out in the neutral zone. They're just hanging out. And they have possession. They're allowed to do that. I don't know who it was, but one of their players goes to get off the ice. Svechnikov goes to follow. Pass to an open man with a wide-open passing lane because Svechnikov isn't there. Breakaway opportunity. Could check off doesn't save it, game over. But Anaheim knew that they could do that to Carolina. That was a set play. That was something they discussed. Look at the players on the ice communicating about it. Anaheim knew what they were doing. So here is the question. Should you, should I, as Carolina Hurricanes fan, be upset about this loss? I'll give you a second. Think about it. You got it? You th- you think you know your answer? Here, together, all at once. One, two, three. Absolutely not. Seven out of eight points on this Western swing. More than fine. Would I have preferred that we got eight out of eight points? Of course. Do I super duper care at all that we gave Anaheim the specialty point? No. It- it's not going to matter. It's 100% not going to matter. It's not like Anaheim is going to face this in the playoffs. Fuck it. And from here, we'll turn it over to Brendan Moore, who does what a good coach does in a way. And defends his players for a poor effort. Um, Which, you know, long road trip. But forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, Rod will defend his players. Rod's The actual largest criticism you can have of Rod Burnamore is that he is too loyal to his players. And that that works really well sometimes. It does. He buys that loyalty, and these guys would run through a wall for him. But he is too loyal to his players. I don't necessarily disagree with him in what he's going to say. You'll hear in a moment. But Rod Burnamore is absolutely looking at all of his players with rose-colored glasses 100% of the time. Really quickly, before we transition to the uh, press scrum after the game, audio quality absolutely terrible. It sounds like they were sitting next to like a washing machine. I I don't know. I've, forgive me up front for this one, but let's see what the coach had to say.
0: I mean, I give the guys a credit. They were exhausted. Mentally, you could tell right from the start of the game they were not ready to go. And not not from a lack of effort, just the sharpness was just not there. And, you know, we at least we came back. We got we got back into the game, had a good second period. And then you could just see how exhausted everybody was in the third. We had no jump and, you know, we didn't really play very well. But, uh, you know, again, I think I give the guys credit because it's been a long season so far already, like just the way it's gone. And we, we, you know, we dug in as much best we can. Well, you, you listen. If we want to be successful, yeah, we need everyone contributing. I don't. I mean, I think we've still got some room to grow there. Um, you know, we're still relying a little bit too much on maybe our top guys. Um, but but it's you know I, I think it's coming.
1: That's where we're going to end the game in Anaheim. It is currently two a.m. I apologize. This will be a shorter episode. This is Wednesday's episode, of course. On Saturday's episode, I will not have any games to talk about. I have a couple pieces of news I can talk about, an interview I can dive into, but overall, no game because the Hurricanes don't play again until Saturday night on Long Island at seven thirty. So I have a request: any questions, whether it's revolving Kane's history or your random hot take that you want to expose me with, uh, please tweet it at me at Colin Home Ice. I will, you know, post this to Twitter so that everyone sees it. And then also, if you follow me on Instagram, I guess I'll put something on there too. Just you know, trying to do like a little mailbag thing here. Uh, don't really have a ton to pack into this episode, so if you guys don't, you're about to get like 20 minutes of me talking about Seth Jarvis's haircut. Like I don't know, I'll I'll figure something out. But yeah, please uh, treat me mailbag questions at Colin Home Ice. As always, I thank you for listening to Home Ice Advantage. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this. If it's your first time, if it's not your first time, well, share it with a couple of friends. I'm sure they're going to love it just as much as you do. Again, please, for the love of all that is holy, send me mailbag questions for Saturday at Colin Home Ice. Consider adopting or fostering a pet at the Wake County Animal Center. Link down below. I will see you on Saturday. I always say see you, but you will hear from me again. On Saturday, I'll eventually get that right. It's only been two years. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'll talk to you this weekend.